Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our morning service. Good to have you with us this morning. As we gather together to worship the Lord, we welcome those on Zoom as well. Great that you're able to join us this morning. I'll ask Pastor Brad now to come and uh, lead in prayer and read the scripture for us. Pastor Brad, please. Our scripture reading for uh, this morning is found in First Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 17, and I'll read down into chapter 2 and verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 17, uh, down to chapter 2 and verse 10. And uh, as I'm reading the text, if you could uh, pay particular attention uh, to uh, verses 6, 7, and 8 of, uh, of chapter 2, uh, that'll be uh, a focus a little later. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, Peter writes, And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, forasmuch as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the scripture thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, Ye also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar or special people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. 
which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. May the Lord help us understand his holy word. Let's come before the Lord and pray together. Our Father, we thank you that we can sing blessed assurance. Jesus is ours. What a foretaste of glory divine. Holy Father, when we consider our needs and challenges, it is astounding that we might be assured of anything. We thank you, Lord God, for your word that stands forever. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of these promises. And we thank you, Lord God, that because of these things, we can indeed be assured. You know our weaknesses, Lord God. Your scripture tells us that you know our frame. You're the one who made us. You know that we are but dust. But, O oh Lord God, you are also the one who has invited us to come and make our requests known to you. Because you, O oh Lord, are eternal and your word stands. So we pray, Lord God, that you would help us through the challenges that we face. Help us, Lord God, as we deal with a society that has very little time for the Christian faith, even though they have desperate need of it. We pray, Lord God, for the calendar distribution this afternoon. And we ask, Lord God, that the words that are printed on those calendars might strike into the hearts of those who receive them. And we pray, Lord God, by your grace, there would be many who receive them. We ask, Lord God, that by your grace and for your glory, there would be no difficulty distributing these thousand calendars. Please strengthen those who are undertaking the task. May they not lose heart when there are those who, are, uh, who rebuff them. But we pray, Lord God, they would be steadfast and that their eyes would be focused on your glory. O oh, Holy Father, make your name known in this land. Please make your name known in this church and through this church into this community. Lord, our God, we pray for those who are not well. We've heard of uh, Brady this morning, and we pray for him. We ask, Lord God, that you would draw near to many others and, uh, and some who are away sick today and, and others who deal with chronic illnesses. Lord, you know our frame. You know our weaknesses. You know that these temporary things pass away. And we pray, Lord God, that you would give us daily grace and strength to withstand. Thank you for the testimony of Scripture that urges us to recognize that even though we face trials of many kinds, yet because of the Lord Jesus, whom having not seen we love, we still rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. May we know something of that, Lord God. May you draw alongside us in our anxieties and our burdens and our concerns. And may you give us the comfort that only your word provides. We ask, Lord God, that you would be particularly with the work of the missions of the church. We pray that you would continue to support those who are engaged in this labor of spreading the gospel. We ask, Lord, that you would open up many doors of opportunity for them and that they would be bold and courageous and clear with the message, that they would go forth with your power, Lord God, strengthened by your Spirit. And we pray that they, like the Apostle Paul, would be able to give thanks, as he did for the Thessalonians, that then when they received the word, they received it as the word of God, as it really is. 
Please, Lord God, may your word be powerful and effective. If any are in danger of losing heart, Lord God, turn our eyes again upon Jesus. Help us to see in him all that we need for life and godliness, not only in the present, but for eternity. Thank you for your goodness. May we taste even this morning that the Lord is gracious, and may that cause us, Lord God, to run to him. So thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come together today. You know what our needs are, and we ask, Lord, that by your grace, you would meet them and strengthen us for your glory and praise. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Again, Pastor Brad, welcome. Lord bless as you open the word to us this morning. Thank you. All right, well, let's come to the Lord and pray together. Let's pray. Thank you, our Father, for every blessing we receive from your word. We ask that you would open it to us today and Lord, help us to see Christ. We know that he is the great theme of Scripture. All the law, the prophets, and the writings testify of him. And we pray, Lord God, that as we look at your word, you would indeed testify in our hearts by your spirit of Jesus Christ, so that we might see who he is truly, and with all our heart confess him as Lord. So please strengthen us, we ask, for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. As the Apostle Peter picked up his pen to write the first letter of Peter, he's concerned. He knows firsthand that threats and violence can undermine our, our faith. Did not he himself deny the Lord Jesus Christ under conditions pretty much like that? As we read the Old Testament scriptures, perhaps we recall Asaph of Psalm 73. That hymn we sang a moment or two ago was, was based on that psalm. And, and he even wondered if he had wasted his time on holiness because things were so difficult to him, for him, but the life of his godless neighbor was a breeze. Didn't Job's wife tell him in the midst of suffering to curse God and die. The mission of the church had been effective. There had been churches founded all over uh, the, the Roman world. He mentions a few of those regions in the, the, the first verse of, uh, of 1 Peter. And, and they were God's chosen people, but as a percentage of the population, it was nothing. Oh yeah, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people converted in a day. Now that would get your attention in the city. 3,000 people uh, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ in one place uh, at one time was remarkable. But 3,000 people scattered throughout the Roman world was nothing. They were, they were a, a tiny, almost insignificant percentage. You know how sometimes when you see the census numbers, they'll, they'll tell you that, well, 60% belong to this group and, and, and 30% to this group. And somewhere down the end, there's, and there's 2% of other. Uh, well, the Christians were other. Uh, they, they were a, a, a rounding error in the, in the statistics in terms of the world at large. And it was scary. Because people would hardly notice them, that was one thing, but when they were noticed, they were more likely to be ridiculed and even hounded. We read the book of Acts, of course, for examples of that. 
Many in the society at large saw nothing in this group or its teachings to respect. Now, this is a problem for two groups of people, those who believe in the Lord Jesus and those who don't. Uh, And of course, that encompasses all of us one way or the other. For those who don't believe in the Lord Jesus, it's very easy to dismiss it all uh, because it seems so insignificant to us. For those who do believe in the Lord Jesus, it can at times be somewhat frightening. We might face doubt and temptation. We need the encouragement. And as Peter takes up his pen, that's what he's wondering about. What can I say that will give these people comfort in the midst of their crisis? What can I say that will make it clear to them that our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ is not mere blind optimism, but it has a good foundation? What can we talk about? And whenever a New Testament author asks the question, what could I write about? The answer was always the Lord Jesus Christ. It was just what particularly about Christ should we emphasize for this particular need. So we start by thinking a little bit of the comfort in crisis, and I'm I'm going to give you just the very briefest overview of the first part of 1 Peter. Uh, A a couple of commentators would underline that the phrase uh, dearly beloved uh, is, or beloved, is is a handy way of dividing the letter. It occurs twice. It occurs in chapter 2, verse 11, and it occurs in chapter 4 and verse 12. And so that divides the letter into three parts. So what we're talking about right now is the first part that goes from verse chapter 1, verse 1, down to chapter 2, verse 10, uh, part of which I, I read. And in this opening section of the letter, Paul is trying to uh, help the people understand who they are in Christ so that they will find comfort in him, that they will be able to face the trial. Uh, He does not deny the trial. In fact, he he says we expect these kinds of trials, uh, that that we face trials of many kinds. Uh, There's all sorts of things, and and he knows that. Uh, And and so he wants them to, to recognize that there is comfort, and he finds the comfort in the scriptures. He brings them back to the word of God. And by the scriptures under this circumstance early on in the life of the church, I mean primarily the Old Testament. The New Testament, of course, is is coming along uh, as Peter writes this. It becomes part of the New Testament. But for a group that was so new, to underline that the fulfillment may be new, but the theme is ancient, is important. In the Sunday school class this morning, we're reminded that at the start of Romans, Paul underlines that this is according to the scriptures. The scriptures told us of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a text near the end of Romans, in Romans 15, that's also very important, where Paul speaks about the patience and comfort of the scriptures that gives us hope. 
Peter obviously agrees. This opening section is full of references to the Old Testament. Again, without doing much more than, than listing the text, at the end of 1 Peter chapter 1, he quotes from Isaiah 40, uh, all flesh is grass, but the word of the Lord stands forever. God's word is eternal. Our hope is not based on the flesh that comes and goes. It's based on what God says, which once he says it, stands forever. He is the God who cannot lie. Our hope of eternal life depends on this, Paul had written to Titus. And and that's why we need to recognize that the gospel may have been written 2,000 years ago, but it's still relevant today. It's precisely because that's the nature of the word of God. It stands forever. So Peter underlines that. In chapter 2 and verse 3, he says, If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Not really a quotation, but if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you might hear an echo of, of Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He reminds us that the Lord is good, uh, that even though we're surrounded by evil things, the purposes of God are good. And what God does in our lives is for our good when we understand uh, these things in Christ. In, in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, he describes the church as a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar or special treasure to God, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's an echo here, again, not a direct quotation, but an echo in the terms that are used of Exodus 19, verses 3 to 6. When God brought his, uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt, they come in Exodus 19, they arrive at Mount Sinai in chapter 20, they are given the Ten Commandments and the, the giving of the law. But how did they get there? And the Lord says through Moses, you are this, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. These terms come from that context. And God says, I bore you on eagle's wings to this point. You are not at Mount Sinai because you happen to trick the Egyptians or you managed to overpower them. You've read Exodus. You know that that was hopeless. They had nothing. They're slave people. Uh, they were downtrodden. They were oppressed. And suddenly, here they are, wealthy with all of the jewelry and everything they borrowed from their neighbors, sitting here with wealth at Mount Sinai. And how did they get there? They got there because God bore them on eagles' wings. Peter alludes to that as well. The covenant has been ratified. God redeems with mighty power, and now they are, are his treasure. But of course, they didn't live as his treasure. You go to the other end of the Old Testament uh, era, and you get to the prophet Hosea. It's a love story of sorts, but it's one where God accuses his people of prostitution. They've been unfaithful to God. They've broken their marriage vows, this, this covenant vow that, that they had with God. And the Lord brings judgment upon them because of it. In fact, he uses strong language. He says, uh, as Hosea has a child, he says, name that child Loami, not my people. Name your next child Loruama, no mercy. Judgment is falling on the people. But here is that astounding everlasting love of God. He won't let them go. 
And he says, those who were not my people, call them my people. Those who had not received mercy, now they've received mercy. And so what does Peter say in verse 10? Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. With reference after reference to the Old Covenant, to the Old Testament promises, Peter is saying, what was true then is true now. It stands because the Word of God is eternal. Don't lose heart, but recognize that this God who speaks is the God who cannot lie. Out of that, Peter points them to Christ as our Savior. And he points to two particular things about the Lord Jesus. Back in chapter 1 and verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That came up in Romans 1 uh, as, as well this morning. Declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. The New Testament loves the theme of the resurrection begets us to a living hope. It can never perish, spoil, or fade. You might see your standing in society as, since you became a Christian, as being virtually wiped out, but understand there's something that never changes, and that's the inheritance that is yours, the living hope that is yours in Jesus Christ. And the resurrection is the the reason for that. The other thing he says about the Lord Jesus Christ Again, in chapter 1, this time in uh, verses 18 and 19, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver, gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What does he refer to in order to encourage these suffering, struggling believers? The resurrection and the cross is centered on Jesus Christ. A living hope, the Lamb of God. That's what we have. This is just like the good old days, right? That was the introduction. Now here's the meat of it. He again turns to the Old Testament scriptures and he draws on a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the most common picture uh, in the scriptures. The theme of shepherd, for example, is, is much more common. Uh, the theme of redeemer, uh, very common. Uh, but the theme of Christ, our cornerstone. Not particularly common, but quite vital. For example, Jesus refers to it to explain the cross. Remember the triumphal entry? Matthew 21, it's in Mark and Luke as well in the appropriate places, but Matthew 21, you can find this. Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem. It's the start of the last week. And if Jesus is this great Messiah, if they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, then why do so many people reject him? Jesus quotes the cornerstone to make the point. The stone the builders rejected the same has become the head of the corner. Psalm 118 that we read at the beginning of the service. The apostle uh, uh, Peter quotes it in Acts chapter 4, in the early preaching of the church. How can we dare to say that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved? Doesn't that sound kind of narrow? How do we dare say that? 
Well, we say it on the basis of the very same verse Jesus quoted. The stone the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. Therefore, we know there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Paul uses it in Romans 9 and 10 to explain how the Gentiles are being gathered in. Uh, it explains why so many rejected Christ, but, but those who receive Christ, they are, are, are safe in, in him. In Ephesians 2, we'll get to some of these passages later. Uh, it, it's that on which we build the church, Christ himself, the cornerstone. Uh, but here is Peter using it. Why does Peter refer to these Old Testament passages uh, of Christ the cornerstone in verses 6, 7, and 8 of 1 Peter 2. Well, it fits with his theme. It's the theme of comfort. What I want to do is to go back to the three passages that Peter refers to on this theme of Christ our cornerstone uh, and and look a little bit at the, the passages. We'll not go into a great deal of detail, but as we look at those passages, I think we'll see why they were so appropriate to Peter's circumstance, that, that the people, the Christians in Peter's day, were facing very much the same circumstances as those in the day of Isaiah. Two of the quotes come from Isaiah and Psalm 118 that I already mentioned. The order that I have chosen here happens to be the order they occur in Peter, not the order they occur in your Bible. Uh, so we actually start with the last one, which is Isaiah 28, verse 16. That verse says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Do you get the point? Uh, this is not moving, right? This is solid. He who believes shall not make haste, or as Peter puts it, shall not be ashamed. This is the precious cornerstone. Why does Isaiah say that? Which will help us understand why Peter quotes it. Isaiah is dealing with a very difficult period of time. The northern kingdom, remember Israel had divided into two after Solomon's death, and the northern kingdom is actually destroyed, uh, taken captive by Assyria in Isaiah's day, uh, near the end of, uh, of his ministry. But Isaiah is ministering in the southern kingdom, which goes on for a number of years, but is suffering from the same illness that the north, northern kingdom was suffering from, and that was not believing God. Isaiah did have King Hezekiah and King Jotham. They, they're called good kings, and Uzziah to some extent as, as well. But even the, the better kings had a problem with trusting God. Uh, they, even the better kings were subject to pride. And King Ahaz, one of the kings uh, listed in Isaiah, later, but you remember King Ahaz from Isaiah 7? The Lord offers him a sign, and he said, I'm not going to ask for a sign from the Lord. Uh, it, no time for Isaiah. G get out of the court. Uh, we're busy here. Uh, go sit at the children's table, right? Uh, that, that's the whole approach here. Uh, and, and it's baby talk. Uh, the, the, the word of the Lord. It's being scorned as, as being nothing for a mature, serious person. Have you ever heard anything like this? This, you know, a, a real scientific mind would never believe this stuff. Uh, you know, we're, we've grown beyond that. That's, you know, in the, the past and so on. That's what they were saying in Isaiah 28. 
And that's what Peter knows his people are hearing. The scorn of the world. Not just that they don't want to believe it for themselves, but it's scornful. But in, in reading some of uh, uh, Alec Motier's comments on, uh, on Isaiah, uh, he's, I, I like his commentaries because he has these little sayings every once in a while. They just seem to capture the nub of it. Uh, and this is what he said. Rejecting God's word does not mean escaping it. Rejecting God's word does not mean escaping it. Do you remember the, the account in Jeremiah of, uh, of uh, a king uh, who Jeremiah's scroll was brought to him and was read to him? Remember Jehoiakim? Uh, he's sitting there by the fireplace and his nobles are scared because of what they read in Jeremiah's scroll and they bring it and they read it to the king and every time they get to a, a, an end of the piece of the scroll, he yawns, stretches, gets out his knife and slices it off and tosses it in the fire. I added the part about yawning and stretching. I don't know that, but he did cut the scroll in pieces and, and burned it in the fire. You know what happened? God told Jeremiah to rewrite the scroll. Rejecting the word of God is not the same as escaping it. He accomplishes his goal. Well, that's what they were dealing with. That's what Peter is dealing with. And, and so in that context, the Lord says, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Believe in him, you will not be ashamed. See why Peter likes that quote? Here is a sure foundation. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They may consider it childish. But remember, the sovereign power of God is unstoppable. They can scorn God. They can scorn his word, but his word stands. Stake your life on this, and you will not be ashamed. The scorned have a sure foundation. That leads us to the second text in Peter's order, uh, and that comes from the text we read at the beginning from Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. You can see several of the same thoughts there, but if you go back to the beginning of Psalm 118, what's the, the basic theme here? Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endures forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say his mercy endures forever. Sometimes you read a text of scripture and you're not quite sure what the point is. But this text, you're pretty clear, right? His mercy endures forever. And then look at verse 5. I called upon the Lord in distress. You might think when you start reading the psalm that this is a psalm of somebody whose life is going perfectly. The Lord's mercy is great. The Lord is good. When do we say that? Do we say that right after the cancer diagnosis? Not usually. But what's the psalmist saying here? The mercy of the Lord is forever. And I know that because I was in distress. I learned this lesson in the worst possible time of my life, I learned the mercy of God. And then he says this in verses 8 and 9. 
It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. He goes on to describe a little bit of his life. Does somebody think he lived a sheltered life and that's why he's saying, oh, you should trust the Lord? One of those, you know, kind platitudes we say to somebody who's suffering and they kind of brush us off. He explains, no, it wasn't like that at all. All the nations compassed me about. In the name of the Lord, I'll destroy them. They compassed me about. I was surrounded. They compassed me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. Now, do you see why Peter might choose that text? (laughs) In the midst of these sufferings that we feel like we're surrounded, we cry out to the Lord. I have, thankfully, not been swarmed by bees. Sometimes sitting on my front deck, a bee goes by and I head for the house. On my morning walk, there was uh, a a bird must have been nesting somewhere in the side. But when I would come down near that part, it would start screaming and yelling at me and try to draw me away from the nest. And and one day it started like flying over my head and there was a bird about this size. And and, and of course, you know, I'm kind of terrorized by it and it's a scary thing he said I the nation they were swarming me that's how I felt and it's better to trust in the Lord Peter's readers felt surrounded he goes on to say the Lord chastened me but not to kill me he chastened me to save me isn't that what Peter says Your faith is tried by fire, and it is more precious than gold. Because gold perishes, and your faith will not. You receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so he says, do not fear. Enter into the gates of the Lord. The Lord saves. How do we know that? Because the stone that the builders refused is become the head of the corner. Christ has set him up. And he goes on and actually quotes that that passage uh, quoted at the uh, triumphal entry comes from this psalm as well. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. Save now. Send prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that changes everything. Rejoice and be glad. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Don't lose heart. Keep your eyes on what God is doing. And by now you've realized all of these verses are somewhat related. That's why Peter quotes them together. The third one is Isaiah chapter 8. Now, I I already mentioned the context a little bit. In Isaiah 7, uh, the Lord offers King Ahaz uh, a a sign. The the issue here is that the the northern kingdom and the Syrians are trying to get a league of nations together to defeat the Assyrians, who were the main threat. Ahaz is being asked to join that treaty, that, that covenant, that league of nations, He doesn't want to do it. 
because those are his traditional enemies. And so he gets the brilliant idea that making a league with Assyria would be better. Uh, and that's what second, you read Second Chronicles 28 that I mentioned earlier. It turns out to be a complete disaster. The prophet Isaiah has come to tell Ahaz, here's a novel idea. Why don't you trust your God instead? And if you don't have the courage to trust your God, ask a sign. Ask anything you want, heaven above, earth below, ask for a sign and I'll give it to you so that you know you can trust God. And Ahaz puts on his spiritual hat, the hypocrite, and he says, I'm not going to ask the Lord for a sign. I won't put the Lord God to the test. And Isaiah says, the Lord will give you a sign anyway. A virgin will conceive and bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's the setting of Isaiah 8. The people around Isaiah, Isaiah and his group of disciples, are scared. The political intrigue going on, nation against nation. Again, something we're, we're familiar with. They have reason to worry. Kings had a lot of power in those days. And if the kings and his advisors find Isaiah to be enough of a nuisance, they'll get him out of the way. Judgment will fall, Isaiah 8 tells us. Assyria will prove to be no help. They will overrun Emmanuel's land. The people will be shattered and broken in pieces. All of these treaties will come to nothing. It's better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Ahaz didn't get that message. It's a scary time. And Isaiah reminds them, Emmanuel, God is with us. And in that context, he tells them, don't fear what they fear. They're running in terror from these conspiracies, but, but don't call them conspiracies. Trust the Lord. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Peter quotes that too. Uh, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Find him your sanctuary. Those who refuse to believe in Jesus are going to trip over the stone of stumbling. Jesus Christ becomes the dividing line. But you wait on the Lord to the law and to the testimony. That's our foundation. So you put these three themes together. The people of God feel scorned. People of God are surrounded. The people of God are scared. And you've got Peter's audience in a nutshell. And in every case, what is the answer? Trust in the Lord who sets up his cornerstone. And that becomes the dividing line of humanity. There are those who reject the stone. And there are those who agree with God. He is precious. Where do you come down? That's Peter's question. Is he precious to me? What is this used for? in the New Testament. I already gave you a little thumbnail sketch. Let me just zero in on two things. Understanding that Christ is our cornerstone is a call to us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ, this triumphal entry, and as Jesus is presented, 
the Gospels have built up to this point. You've learned a lot about Jesus. You've seen miracles. You've seen, uh, or you've heard his words and so on. This has been spelled out. But now is the dividing line. Up until this point, the Lord Jesus was often hidden, right? They'd come looking for him and he had disappeared and gone on to the next town. But not now. Now we're at the, the, the crucial point. And Jesus comes and enters the city publicly. He does it in fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy, riding on the foal of a donkey. He comes riding into the city and says, okay, here it is. Where do you come down? Here I am. You wanted me. Here I am. Will you be the builders who rejected the stone? Or will you call him precious? Do you remember Emmanuel? Matthew 1, 23. You'll call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from your sins. This was in fulfillment of what the prophet said. A virgin will conceive and bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel. Here he is. God with us. Do we shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do we set him apart as Lord in our hearts? Or do we join the crowds shouting, crucify him? Who challenges authority. He responds to his opposition with a parable about the vineyard servants who killed the son in order to inherit the vineyard. The builders rejected the stone. But you can reject the word of God, but you can't escape it. The stone the builders rejected is made the head of the corner. Christ is the fulfillment of all these promises. So what should we do? Well, that was Peter's point when he quoted it in Acts chapter 4. Be it known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Peter's driving home the point, isn't he? Here he is. Christ the cornerstone. You're carrying on the tradition of the builders who rejected the stone failing to see where that led them instead of embracing Christ and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and believing on the only name by which we must be saved. But that's why. It's because this is God's precious cornerstone. And if we are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we do confess that God is right, he is precious, what should we do? Well, we should build on him. Paul in Ephesians 2 says, Now therefore you are no more, you who believe in Jesus Christ, Jew or Gentile. You are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ himself. So build on that. 
glorify the Lord. A spiritual house, Peter says, built up to make known his excellencies. So show forth his praises. Even though for now, if need be, you face trials of many kinds. You still rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Isn't that what Psalm 118 said? Enter the gates of salvation. Rejoice and be glad in the day that the Lord has made. Here is the day of salvation. Here is the cornerstone identified, declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. Here is our living hope. That's what Peter wants us to see. There will be times when you'll feel surrounded and swarmed. You will know scorn, but don't fear what they fear. Fear the Lord. Wait for him. To the law and to the testimony, his word stands forever. The cornerstone has been laid down. Build on him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Christ is our cornerstone. Let's pray. Help us, Father, to understand your word. Help us to understand that it is true. Help us to understand that it is still true. Help us to understand that even in the day when we die and leave this world, it will be true. May we not stumble over the stone. May we not find him to be a rock of offense, but may we agree with Peter, to you who believe he is precious. May it be so, Lord God, for Jesus' name's sake. Amen.